So verse 15, the wall was finished. Praise God. On the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And I wonder if any of you guys keep a diary or a journal, maybe a few of you. But we know Ezra, he wrote this account from Nehemiah's journal, diary entries. So can you imagine the entry that would have been the 25th day of Elul, which was actually the 25th of September, just gone. Today, when I surveyed the work, when I surveyed Jerusalem, it's with a thankful heart. I can see the wall was finished. The wall was finished. What an entry. And it's amazing to think that Jerusalem lay in ruins for over 100 years, but it was rebuilt in a mere 52 days. I don't know if John's mentioned this, but Nehemiah's name in Hebrew means Jehovah comforts. So can you imagine the comfort this would have been? What a comfort in sight as Nehemiah surveyed Jerusalem. He saw the finished work. He saw that work of restoration. And he had the faith to vision this day. He knew this day would come. So just a quick summary, if you're new, if you haven't heard uh, much of the teaching series in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we've been looking at this man, his faith in God's work of restoration. And we see at the beginning, Nehemiah was broken when the news of Jerusalem and the plight of God's people came to him first. We see he was broken. He was broken over Jerusalem, over the plight of the people, over the sin of the nation. And he sought God with faith and repentance. And he was longing for the hope of restoration. He labored in prayer. He held on to God's covenant promises. And he was quick to pray as well. We see Nehemiah in times of opposition, difficulty. He was quick to pray. These telegram prayers that he would shoot up to God. And he planned and he surveyed and he built and he defended the walls himself. And he also persevered in his faith. When outside threats came and when corruption from within, like we saw last week, these counterfeit prophets of Judah, and he felt the pressure from within, but he persevered. And I was reading this morning in, in my devotion, just a reminder that many are our plans, many are the plans in our heart, but it's God who established our steps. Amen. So throughout this series, we've seen this man named Matthew, we've seen his faith, the rebuilding work that God wants to do through him and how it points to our, really our path of restoration in Jesus. And this is the big idea today, you see on your uh, teaching outlines, hopefully on your chairs, this is the big idea. As the war was completed, as this day finally came, we can think of our salvation in Jesus and that completed work at the cross, that we have been restored to live in the victory of Jesus, his victory. Amen. And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, we should have it on the screen. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So just as an introduction to this, with Nehemiah in mind, back in chapter 1 and chapter 2 we see Nehemiah, he actually spent longer praying, seeking God, longing for the hope of restoration through, through prayer than the actual time it took to, to, to complete the wall. He spent months seeking God and it only took a mere 52 days to complete. I find that quite amazing. And what does that tell us? Nehemiah knew that the spiritual battle was going to be greater 
than the physical battle. He knew that the spiritual war was going to be greater. And the Bible tells us that our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but it's against spiritual forces. Satan's, Satan's work, his tactics, they're going to seek to undermine the power of his victory at every turn. But the battle's been won for us at the cross. Amen. The battle's been won for us at the cross with Jesus. But as Christians, having been given the victory over sin and death, what does that mean for us today? So hopefully with these points on your, on your teaching outline, we'll go through and hopefully it'll, it'll start to make some sense. And we see after the announcement in verse 15, we see 16, verse 16, how the completion of the wall affected the surrounding peoples. All the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. When the war was finished, their enemies were very disheartened, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. So let's see the effect this work of restoration has on the opposition, on the enemy. And really, when you think about it, the Jews, they weren't a mighty military force. It should have been quite easy to put an end to the building work. It should have been quite easy to put a stop to this work. So why, why did their efforts <laughs> fail? And why were they so cast down when they saw these ruins restored? Yes, we know Nehemiah had favour with the Persian king and through his rulings, the enemy's efforts were, were thwarted somewhat. But they continued to scheme, to plot and harass Nehemiah every turn. They wanted to undermine this work of restoration. So what was the reason they failed? What was the reason they failed in their efforts? Was it because Israel were mighty and strong? No. In chapter 4 we read, it was God who brought their plot to nothing. It was God who sovereignly orchestrated this work of restoration. He brought the enemy's plot to nothing. They weren't just cast down because the walls were completed. They were cast down because they saw the hand of God with Nehemiah, the God of Israel, with his people. They perceived that God's hand was with Nehemiah to rebuild. And this is the point. That restoration always has an evangelistic purpose. Our restoration. We see the prophet Amos actually spoke about this restoration work in Nehemiah, in a prophecy. He says, In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things. And in Acts 15, James the Apostle, he quotes this prophecy. And he actually, when he's giving the church leaders the instruction to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles, he quotes this prophecy. But the walls were rebuilt, that Gentile believers, that's us, that's here today would seek the Lord and call upon his name. So notice here this work of restoration. God rebuilds the ruins to be a witness to others. Jesus restores us so we can share in the good news of his victory. That's the purpose. That's what we see here. So we see with Nehemiah when a man like Nehemiah, whose faith was strong, but his faith was in God, he wasn't strong in himself. His faith was in God who was mighty. 
and who is working for good on behalf of Israel at this time. But when your life has God's fingerprints, others will notice. And that's the point. Your testimony here today, your testimony, how you came to know Jesus as your saviour, your testimony is God's story of restoration. That's what he wants us to share with other people so that they will notice. He took our sinful nature, he took our broken sinful nature and he restored us. By grace, we are restored. So the rest of the world will see. And it's this miracle of salvation that we want to share with others. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us, not sometimes, always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Always leads us in triumph. It speaks of Christ's total, complete, and utter victory over sin at the cross. And through us, through our faith in Jesus, he bears witness to this gospel truth to others, which is the power of God unto salvation. So as we walk in this gospel truth of his victory, his triumph over sin, as our heart changes and continues this restoring work of the Holy Spirit, others are going to see. But we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with sharing the gospel with others and we think about is what I'm saying correct or having said something we worry about what we said but that's the enemy that's the enemy that just seeks to undermine and sow those seeds of doubt in our mind the gospel of peace as it's called in Romans 10 15 how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things sharing Good news, it's not sharing difficult news or slightly confusing news. It's sharing glad tidings of good things. Amen. The glad tidings of good things. And it's eternal life. It's eternal life through resurrection. It's forgiveness of sin. It's the work of restoration that God does in us through his Holy Spirit. And it's the glad tidings of Christ's victory. It's not our glad tidings. It's glad tidings of Christ's victory over sin and death. Amen. And it's knowing the God of grace, knowing his steadfast love, his unfailing love through Jesus Christ. So Jesus restores us to share the good news of his victory. That's the first point. And as we continue on in verse 17, we see the walls having been completed. We see new opposition for Nehemiah. Also in those days, the nobles nobles? Nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And the letters of Tobiah came to them, for many in Judah were pledged to him. And then we see these people, these connections Tobiah has through marriage. The nobleman reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. So Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So we see this Tobiah, this Ammonite, who was <clears throat> previously opposed to the work of restoration with Sanballat, another name we heard. And these other names we see in verse 18, they speak of his family connections with the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And he had a strong connection there through family. And he used those connections. He abused his position of power. And he was politically motivated. He was politically motivated, as we've seen in the past. But the nobles of Judah, these Israelites, God's covenant people, they should have been helping Nehemiah. They should have been helping Nehemiah to restore the walls and 
this rebuilding work in Jerusalem, but they were undermining him as well. They pledged their loyalty to Tobiah. And the idea is they had financial pledges. They had possibly trade deals with Tobiah. Yeah, and that's all the while Nehemiah was trying to do this work. The people in high society in Judah, they were actually um, undermining this work through their relationship with Tobiah, this Ammonite. So instead of seeking the truth, essentially, as God's covenant people, these nobles of Judah, they, under, they were undermining God's servant. They were forsaking God's word, even taking an oath of loyalty to Tobiah. And Zechariah, he prophesied of these close enemies of Israel, and he, he said they helped but with evil intent. So they came as friends, but they weren't helping. They were undermining God's work of restoration. So it threatened the unity that Nehemiah wanted to create in Judah, undermining the good work that God was doing through him. And all the while we see this Tobiah, he was sending threatening letters to Nehemiah. And I want to read Proverbs 28, verse 4. It says, They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. And isn't that what, what we're seeing here? Those that forsake the law are actually praising the wicked, but the ones who stand for the truth, which is what Nehemiah was doing, stand for the truth of God's word. They were contending, he was contending with the likes of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, we see, contended for the faith. He upheld the truth of God. And seeing this example really takes us to our next point, that Jesus restores us to uphold the truth of his victory. To uphold the truth of his victory. We read in Jude, verse 3. Beloved, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, see that the faith, the faith that we have, the faith of the new covenant, has been delivered to us, the saints. Who are the saints? It's us. It's you. Our faith is precious. Why is our faith precious? Because the object of that faith is precious, Jesus Christ. He is precious. And truth is worth contending for. The truth that we stand in, the faith that we have is worth contending earnestly for. So many men like Tobiah, who we see here, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness. This is what Tobiah was doing. This is what we saw last week with these counterfeit prophets of Judah. They were claiming... They were twisting the truth of Scripture. They were trying to trap Nehemiah. But Nehemiah knew God's word and he was standing in the truth of God's word. And that's what we must do. We contend for the faith that's been delivered to us. But we can only uphold truth. We can only uphold the truth if we love the God of truth. We have a relationship with the God of truth. Otherwise, it's just an intellectual exercise. We must spend time in his word. And I think quite a few of us were really blessed yesterday and Friday night um, hearing about the importance of spending time with God in his word, to study God's word, 
to see what God has for us in his word. And it's where we see the revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole, the volume of the book speaks of Jesus. And he is the truth. Amen. But what was Nehemiah's response to intimidation? Can you remember what Nehemiah's response was to intimidation? In the past, when we've looked at the opposition he's came up against, prayer. That was Nehemiah's response to intimidation. He prayed. He trusted in God's sovereignty, in God's power. And he left Tobiah's threats with God. And that's what we see him doing here. We see Jesus in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 44. He tells us regarding our enemies, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. That's the heart that God wants us to have. As difficult though that is. But also see how the apostles prayed. When I think of persecution, when I think of any, the enemies of God, I think of the Pharisees, I think of the people who persecuted the disciples of Jesus Christ, the apostles who came up against them. And we see in Acts 4, verse 29, they prayed when they were persecuted, when they were beaten. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So through prayer the apostles stood in the truth of Christ's victory. In the face of persecution they were asking God for increased boldness to share their faith. So when we pray what do we do? We're practicing our faith. We're acknowledging that God is on the throne. Amen. That Jesus conquered sin and death, that anyone who comes up against us, whether they're mocking God or they're persecuting us, we can pray with full assurance of faith in Jesus Christ that their fate, their life is in his hands. And we pray that they will come to know the same God that we, that we love, that they will be saved by the same grace that we have come to know. So Jesus restores us to uphold the truth of his victory. And we do that by loving the God of truth through relationship. And just moving on in chapter 7, Nehemiah, he concludes with a few announcements or appointments in Jerusalem. Once the war is completed, we see um, in verse 1, when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed... So then it was, the wall was built. Everything was set in order. So practically speaking, the doors of the various gates around the city um, were hung. Gatekeepers, that's doorkeepers, uh, people in charge of keeping these gates secure, they were appointed. But we also see the spiritual appointments. We see the Levites, the priests, and the singers. The priests appointed for temple worship, which is a key part of restoration. If you think about it, Israel were given back their spiritual identity. Not just secure with walls, but they were given back their spiritual identity. These priests, they were appointed, and priests were there to receive, as we know, the sin offering. To lead the people in worship. 
And this is the point, the walls weren't simply rebuilt so that people could look at nice walls, so that they could feel secure from their enemies. That was the reason, that was, that was a good thing. But they were rebuilt so the people of Israel could worship God with a greater freedom and assurance than ever before. Jerusalem was supposed to be the center of spiritual worship. And this is what Nehemiah wanted to ensure. And we see that with Ezra, Ezra in the next chapter when he, when he teaches from the law. We see a revival in people's hearts. We see people repenting. We see they kept the Feast of Tabernacles as well. They were doing, God's people were doing what God had called them to do. And this all starts with the completion of the walls. Yes, it was physical security, but it was, it was more than that. And we also see, looking even further on, we see the route from which our Messiah would eventually come. Yeah, we see the remnant of Israel, yes, their exiles have been cut down to the roots. But we see it, this was a route from which Jesus would eventually come. And it's the foundations of what we're seeing in the New Testament that are being laid here, the advent of Messiah. And this is why the enemy didn't want this work to be complete, because if the walls weren't restored, Jerusalem wouldn't have a future. It would continue to exist. It would be ruins. The people would be um, living in a, a state of um, hopelessness, really. So this brought back hope, the hope of restoration. And we can look back and we can see how Jesus fits in, fits into that, that plan of restoration. But this is why the enemy didn't want these walls to be rebuilt. So with the appointments, we see Nehemiah, he called for a renewed faith from the people. If you think about it, the last time we saw this was Solomon's temple, a grand, you know, the fire coming down from heaven. It was a completely different thing. But here, these are humble beginnings. Yeah, these people, they had few, very few earthly guarantees. So Nehemiah was calling them to a renewed, a renewed faith with humble beginnings. But out of the ruins emerged a stronger identity, essentially, as God's people. They had a greater sense of being God's people. Amen. And the, truth, the same is true for us. As God restores our brokenness, the freedom that comes with our restoration to live in the victory and the power of Jesus Christ. We see in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Amen. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's the New Living Translation. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And do you know that this morning, that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? You have peace with God and you can now worship him freely with a changed heart, a radically changed heart. Your heart of stone being replaced with a heart of flesh that can respond to the God who created you, who loves you with full assurance of faith in Jesus. We see that positionally we're righteous in Christ. And Romans goes on to talk about how Jesus has fulfilled every righteous requirement of the law. As we come before God, we're positionally righteous in Christ. He looks upon us and he sees the righteousness of his son and he declares us innocent 
Praise God. And it's because of this we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We continue in verse 2. Nehemiah, we see he gave charge of Jerusalem. Charge to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. So we see Hanani, which is a throwback to chapter 1. He was the, he, he's the brother of Nehemiah who brought the news of Jerusalem's plight, of the ruins of Jerusalem. And he's joined here by Hananiah. So with the rebuilding work complete, both of these men were entrusted to guard the gates to keep the city secure. It was their work to continue what Nehemiah had done. But we see Nehemiah, he could have listed, if you think about it, because this is an important position, he could have listed a whole bunch of qualifications about why they were qualified to, to rule, to govern. Great leadership skills, you know, whatever it might have been. But no, he says, he simply states that they were faithful men. Faithful men who feared God. And this is the heart that God will use. It's interesting, the way he describes Hananiah and Hanani, it relates back to uh, the time of Moses in Exodus 18, when he was told to select from the people able men, such as who fear God, men of truth who hated covetousness, to rule over the people and bear the burden of leadership with him. So it's interesting how that relates back to the time of Moses. And we see Nehemiah doing the same thing, picking faithful men, men of truth, to continue this good work. And as a Christian, you know, thinking about this passage, maybe you don't consider yourself. Half the time, I feel this way, I don't consider myself well-equipped, particularly to serve in, in a specific ministry, or, or maybe you want to and you don't know how, but I just want to encourage you this morning, you can be used greatly of God. Greatly, if you're faithful, if you have a heart that fears God, that reveres God, his word, his truth. And Hananiah, they were just faithful brothers who loved the Lord. They just loved, they loved, they loved God. They were obedient, they were men of truth. And going through Nehemiah, it's funny, we've seen some amazing names. A lot of them John couldn't pronounce. It's been quite, quite funny listening to him trying to pronounce these names. I had a few this morning, but as we come before God, remember these two names. Remember Hanani and Hananiah. Hananiah in the Hebrew means God has favoured. And Hanani means God is gracious. God has favoured and God is gracious. It's just a great reminder. Grace, the favour, our restoration, our usefulness for God, it's all by his grace. And we sing that song, Grace, that new song, by grace I am redeemed, by grace I am restored, and now I freely walk into the arms of Christ my Lord. It's all by his grace. And I think we have such small ideas, we have such low expectations of how God will use us. But remember, it's all by his grace, and he sits on the throne of heaven today, just as he, he did then, wanting to use us, desiring to use us for good works. It's the same God then, who wants to do that in us now. And it's all through Christ's victory. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, if you keep yourselves pure, you will be a special vessel for honourable use, sanctified and ready for the master to use you for every good work. 
So pursue righteousness living, righteous living, sorry, faithfulness, love and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. God's wa God wants you to be a holy vessel for honourable use, sanctified and ready for his good works. But we must keep our hearts pure. He wants us to keep us Keep, keep our hearts pure, undefiled from the world. But notice here that we're to enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So as we call on the Lord with pure hearts. And this talks about the unity that, the, the unity that we have through purity. <laughs> we have unity through purity, purity of heart. And it's the joy that we can have, that we can share with each other, having Christ-centered relationships, rejoicing in his victory, remembering the truth and encouraging each other in the truth of Christ's victory. And I think we see this with Nehemiah, Hananiah and Hananiah. They were just brothers united in their love for God. So Nehemiah, he gave charge of Jerusalem to these two faithful brothers. So notice, as a side note, Nehemiah, he wasn't in this for his own gain his own personal political gain or glory you know he had done a good work he had done a good work and now he was able to hand over the responsibility to these two faithful men so he entrusted them for this important work that was to follow and we see the last verse verse 3 do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot and while they stand God let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. So Nehemiah instructs that these gates were to be opened late in the day and closed early. All the while a guard was set. So it's a time of high security, vigilance. We see a renewed vigilance with the walls being completed. They weren't relaxed. <laughs> they weren't like, great, we've got walls. Now we can just sit back. No, it was a time for renewed vigilance. And in 2 John verse, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. And this is the point. The walls don't protect themselves. Having, been, having completed this work of restoration, the walls had to be guarded. As a Scottish minister, Andrew Bernard, he says, let us be watchful after the victory. Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. I think that's really true. Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. So this is what we're seeing here with Nehemiah taking this, secure, taking this so seriously, appointing these two faithful men to do this work. So watchers were appointed and the walls were guarded continuously. And the passage ends with this picture of a guard being set on two fronts, a guard from their own homes. And John touched on this in a previous uh, teaching, that we're to strengthen first our homes. God restores us to strengthen first our families, guarding our homes against spiritual attack, praying for our wives, praying for our husbands, praying for our children. The enemy wants to destroy the church through ripping apart families. So vigilance starts at home. Also guarding watch stations at the city wall. And this, 
I think, would suggest a more corporate responsibility. The unity, the walls standing side by side, each at his own watch station, at his designated place. They had the responsibility to guard the wall as well as their home. So it's a corporate responsibility. And as a church, we have the same responsibility, don't we? To guard our church from division, disunity, all the things that the enemy wants to do. Men like Tobiah, who want to turn the grace of God. So we stand strong with each other. That's our responsibility. But yeah, this is a simple fact. You know, walls, they can be easily climbed. <laughs> they can be easily overcome if there's no God. It's just a wall. But there's no one guarding the wall. They can be easily overcome. But an enemy can be easily turned back from a wall being guarded. And Nehemiah was no doubt familiar with Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So let's see that God's work a blessing in our life. It's not our labour. It's through the work that he does. It's the God that he sets on our heart. Charles Spurgeon, he wrote about this psalm, Psalm 127. He said, Know that the psalmist does not tell the builder to cease from labouring, nor does he suggest that the watchmen should neglect their duty, nor that men should show their trust in God by doing nothing. No, he supposes that they will do all they can do. And then he forbids their fixing their trust in what they have done and assures them that all human effort will be vain unless the creator puts forth his power. And I think that's especially true of our passage here in our church, in our homes or our personal walk with Jesus. And in this Christian life, victory is often won, but later lost, I know but later lost because of a lack of vigilance, because there wasn't a God set in my heart. I think we all experience this, don't we? The enemy comes in because we're not watching, because we're not guarding our hearts against sin, not remaining vigilant when tempted. But really, the root of all of this, and I want to end with this, is not looking to Jesus. not abiding in Jesus, in his love. It's one of my favourite scriptures. Philippians 3 verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings that I may know him, that I may know him and be found in him. It speaks of relationship. We can know his victory over sin and the power of his resurrection through his sweet fellowship as we endure because he endured all for us. He endured all for us that we might know the power of his victory and the truth of his victory, and share in the truth of his victory. So thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.
and we can stand true and firm on the foundation that we have through our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And God is calling us to live in this victory today. Amen.